All right, guys, I'm back again with another episode of the Whole Brother Mission Podcast, Quarantine Edition. We're working through all the technology difficulties, uh, similar to Teddy Riley. Uh, but I'm back, and we, we, we're here for part two. Uh, you guys won't see part one because it, it got messed up, but I have Jay Cameron here. He's here to discuss his book, Fatherless Fathering. So I've since learned that when I have guests on, I can't really do it justice when I try to present what they're doing uh, through my own words. So even though I'm trying to intro things, I want to hand it over to you to give them kind of a synopsis of what your book is about. Of course, the, the title is Fatherless Fathering. So go ahead and break down the subtitle and where you're trying to go with this. Oh, man, you were getting started. You were doing quite well there. I was waiting <laughs> to break it all the way down for you. <laughs> well, it's called a practical guide for men and women who lack the benefit of being properly raised by a father. And mm -hmm. the, the word there is properly raised because when people hear fatherless fathering, they automatically think that the father is out of the home. When in actuality, a lot of times you can have fatherless children and the father will be in the home and the father might not be providing some of the things that the child needs. And you can easily uh, have this title called motherless mothering because the principles are the same. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that, that's, um, it was, it was written based on my own personal story with fatherlessness and how I overcame fatherlessness to become a father. And I believe that I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, <laughs> I believe yeah. I'm doing all right. <laughs> consider it, consider it all things. Uh, you know where you've been. Yeah, I know where I've been, and I think I want to. I might want to bring my kids in. They might be the ones who will tell you to, you know, say, okay, he either he is or he isn't. But, um, but yeah, it's really a, a inspirational book. While it's a very honest and raw book, I call it autobiographical practical because, like, the first half of the book is more from an autobiographical standpoint, and then the second half of the book walks you into more practical application. Uh, and the reason why I do that is to set up a context so people understand the the mindset and, and the hurdles, because we all have our challenges and different things that we're facing when. Right. Yeah. So so that's a, so that's a breakdown on the book. OK, so I, we've discussed this before. Uh, I try to talk about the idea of fatherlessness in general, specifically as it relates to the black community. Um, I try to have those conversations more so because I've realized just growing up, I've seen a trend. And the interesting thing is I get a lot of pushback from some camps when I talk about the idea of fatherlessness, specifically within the black community. I have some that have said it's a myth. You know, why are you bothering to talk about that? That's just something that uh, that conservative media pushes to hold us down or to, to, to keep us back. And while I do, I agree that there is some propaganda in media as it relates to, to black people and the black experience. I think that two things can be true at once, that while there is some mischaracterization of our community, that there also are some realities that are not positive things. So how would you respond to critics that say that this conversation isn't even a real thing as far as black men are in their homes? They are raising their kids. So why are we talking about this? Well, I'm on both sides of that coin because I am a black man in the home with my children, raised them, been there, watched all four of them being born. Uh, but on the flip side, I grew up without a father. So there, so both sides in one sense are accurate, but to ignore or to dismiss the fatherless component is really, it's really, um, for lack of better words, ignorant, uh, or insensitive, either ignorant or insensitive because 
there are many people, the, the thousands of youth that I've worked with and adults that I've worked with over the years that have dealt with fatherlessness. That's not a myth. That's not something to be dismissed. Uh, when I see these young men come in and they've never had a father figure in their lives or a healthy father figure to offer them guidance, I know what I've seen over the years. So when, when someone says that, it has nothing to do with conservative propaganda. And, and let's be clear. I recognize that when you're dealing, when you're in a country that has, from the inception, dealt with manipulations and distortions, and, and, and many of those people who hold true to those same ideologies are in place right now. So, so I get the, the fact that they would exploit something like that to use it to their advantage. But on the flip side, to ignore the realities of what is still transpiring in all, not just in black communities, but in all communities, uh, just reveals a level of uh, either ignorance or insensitivity or both. But uh, but when I hear people say myth, I don't even at that point, I, I don't even entertain them because I know what I lived. I know my life. Right. Yeah. So in terms of this idea of first being fatherless, before we get to the fathering part, let's just talk about being fatherless. I've I've seen quite a bit that it happens. You know, there are fathers that aren't in the home, fathers that are in the home, but they aren't really involved in raising the child uh, in a variety of other scenarios. Uh, it's not just a matter of just being absent. It can have a lot of different ways that it plays out. But I think that a lot of guys that I know personally, but I also see in media, may address the idea of fatherlessness. You hear it in hip-hop music about dad not being there. But then it's also oftentimes followed up with this idea of, but I'm good, though. <laughs> I ain't tripping. You know, he wasn't there. I'm good. Uh, so I know that you do put some attention toward unpacking how fatherlessness affected you. So I know it's difficult a lot of times for men to be vulnerable, especially to admit that another man's actions affected you a certain way. But could you just kind of walk us through what you realized in your own experience, how fatherlessness affected you personally? I didn't understand how damaged I was until I really probably until I got into my 20s. And it wasn't just my father, but it was a, a series of black men who well, let me not say a series. Let me let me put two or three black men mm -hmm. who who kind of embodied the same kind of personality. And uh, and, and, and and the same result came from their actions. So for me, as I got older, I had to make a decision. Because I was on a self-destructive path, didn't understand why. I knew mm -hmm. I, I was dealing with anger, dealing with all these different things, didn't quite understand why. But once I was able to connect it to the lack of a father's guidance, a lack of a father's love, because that was what was really missing, his love. So when you are growing up and you're, you're trying to figure it out and you're making mistakes and, and the only people that you have around you, your mother, your grandmother, your aunt, I did. My grandfather was around, but he was, he was not properly raising me. He, his father was absent. So with his father being absent, he didn't know what to give me. So now my, my biological father, not present, making uh, promises and not keeping them had a psychological and an emotional impact on me, which really led me down a very, very dark path. And uh, nearly cost me everything, uh, nearly cost me my my future, my family. 
And and so if I were to dismiss that and just try to say, well, you know, it's just the choices that you're making. It, it was the choices that I was making, but I didn't understand why I was making those choices. I didn't understand what the undercurrent was in my life, the, the identity issues. You know, when a boy, he normally identifies with his father. And so my father was a very polished, uh, popular, charismatic man. But for some reason, I was not able to have access to him or his world. So that said to me that there was something wrong with me. I didn't understand the dynamics of complicated relationships. I didn't understand uh, now that I understand the context of his story a bit more and the relationship with my mother. I understand now why it would have been uncomfortable for him to have me around. I knew too much and I talked too much. Uh, so so that would have kind of wrecked his whole world. Yeah. But yeah, so it's so once I got to that place. Uh, it, it took a lot of pain to get there. I may, I, like, again, I hurt a lot of people. I harmed myself. Um, meaning just, you know, just emotionally and just with choices that I was making. And I, I got to a point where I got tired. You know, once I got tired, that's when I said something has to change because this pattern is still here and I can't keep blaming him for it. Now I have to grow up, own my decisions. Yes, this happened, but if I don't take responsibility for my life, where's my life going to end up? And this happened right after. Uh, honestly, this happened right after he passed away. He passed away. And, and and I knew at that point I said, OK, he's gone. So I'm never going to get answers to these questions. Uh, I still had the emotions. I, I mean, I, when he passed away, I had two sets of emotions. And I talk about this in the book. Part of me what felt vindicated. It's like, yes, you you get what you deserve. And I mean, I had a very emotional moment uh, the night I found out that he passed away and, and it was uh, profanity laced uh, to say <laughs> to, 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 you know, it was like you blank, blank, you got what you deserve. You blank, 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 blanker and all of this, that and the other. And then in the next breath, I'm crying because I realize that he's gone. It's permanent. It's permanent. I'll never get the answers. And so it's like, wow, you 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 died. And didn't even tell me goodbye. Those are things that a 21 year old boy and, you know, we say man, but 21 year old boy had to reconcile with now being a father myself because my daughter was born the same year. She was like nine months old when he passed away. And it was like, ah, what do I do next? And I knew at that point I had to own my decisions, but it was hard. It was hard. It was not easy. Okay, so. Thank you. Very clear explanation of the, the fatherless uh, side of it. And I think that's that's real because so often we don't get to hear it, especially uh, from men as they get older. I feel like we kind of tuck things away. So you don't really want to go back and revisit what happened at 21. So I think we need to hear stuff like that more often. So I'm glad you're taking the time to write it down. But next, can we go into what did it look like as far as you becoming a father? Uh, before the actual process of making a child, what was your view on fatherhood beforehand? And then after you had your first child, how did your views change? I always wanted to be a father. I, it, it was interesting because I wanted to do a better job than what my father did. Mm-hmm. And I, this, the timing of it was always, <laughs> it was always a, a interesting thing, but I found myself actually in a relationship in high school where I was a uh, my high school sweetheart and we were actually trying to conceive a child. It was I'm telling you, this it's all in the book. Some wild scenarios in you there. You wanted to become a father in high school. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I okay. it, it, yeah, oh yeah. It was it was um 
I was trying to fill a void. You ever seen where the oftentimes you see where the girls the the way they play it is that the girls are trying to have children and to, to fill out the marriage. Yeah, yeah. So that so what I was trying to do consciously and subconsciously was to to was to create this life and to to do a better job, but it was with the wrong person. And so we were both very damaged. We were both very uh had a lot of issues and and as I talk about in the book, it was the most destructive relationship uh psychologically that I found myself in. But when but but I always wanted to be a father and and fatherhood is the, if there's one thing that I look I'll look back over my life and say that I I feel confident that I did well, it would be being a father. And and so that's I, I put my energy and it wasn't so much to 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 do something against him. It was just I didn't want my children to go through what I went through. I wanted my children to hear I love you. I wanted my children to see my presence at their graduations, at their football games, at their basketball games, nurturing them and instructing them and and, and walking them down that pathway. Uh, and, and that's what I wanted to do. And, and I, I think that's the lesson that I learned from my father by way of him not doing it. It was kind of like, well, OK, so <laughs> how do we do this? Well, I wish my father would have been at my graduation. I wish my father would have come to one of my soccer games or my football games. I wish he would have sent me a card. Uh, now, to be fair to my father, he did buy me a bicycle. He All bought right. me a, <laughs> he bought me a pair of shoes and he did deliver the bicycle to me. Uh, and he bought me a pair of shoes. I had to go to the store and pick it up, but he did give me a pair of shoes. So those are two things. And it's kind of deep that you can remember that, but he did do those two things. Uh, in my life, but but as far as being a father, I always wanted to be a father, and uh, it's it's the joy of my life. Okay. How did you navigate? Because obviously, you know, you're you're four kids, and all of them are pretty much grown at this point for the most part. <laughs> right. But <laughs> I'm grandfather <laughs> age, for real, but I'm not a grandfather. <laughs> but uh, what? did that journey look like? Because obviously, you know, you're on, so to speak, on the other side of it and you're writing the book and so on and so forth. But obviously it was a process. So from first child parenting, navigating through that, you know, you can bring the audience in on this, but I know that was with a previous uh, relationship. Yes. On to now, what did that journey look like as far as you evolving from what were your weaknesses then to the strengths you've gone into now? The family structure was probably the weakness. And when I say this meaning, when my daughter uh, came along, it was at a very unstable time in my life. Twenty, I was 20. Yes, I was 20 years old. I was a club promoter. Met her mom at one of my events. Uh, we hooked up a little bit later. And, you know, that was the kind of life that we were leading back then. Her mom was a couple years younger. So she was like 18. I was 20. We were both kids. She had her own uh, challenges that she was facing. I had my own challenges. And now here this little girl comes into the world. And we were both uh, and we never had a relationship. So there was never love. And it was it was it was a it was a club relationship. Mm -hmm. So now I'm having to figure out, OK. What am I going to do now? In some of our previous discussions, I talked about how there were actually two children before my daughter that were conceived, but they were, those pregnancies were terminated, um, you know, by way of abortion. 
uh, in those two instances. And that, and, and honestly, the first situation I didn't have any control over because when she got pregnant, her father pretty much said, Hey, listen, you know, you're going to get rid of this baby. That's the bottom line. Next thing I knew, the pregnancy was terminated. The uh, second young lady was another one of those club situations. And this guy talked about how I was rolling because <laughs> I was rolling back. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, we, with all the different diseases and everything going on back, it's still going on, but back then it was like really going on. Um, I was, I was reckless. I was sexually reckless. And so that's where these, I, I should have many more uh, children. They just didn't conceive, you know, that's how I was living. So right after the second abortion is when I found out that my daughter had been conceived. So that tells you again, within like a month. Right. And I decided at that point, I said, listen, I'm, it's time for me to grow up and I, and I don't need to be sending this money and, and going through this whole process. And I said, all right. It, it, I told her mother, I said, if you decide not to have an abortion, I'll make sure that I'm there and I will be there for, for the, as long as I'm alive. And so that holds true to this day, you know, 20, uh, 27 years later. No, wait. Yeah. 27 years later, I hold true to that promise. Um, but becoming a father and the funny part was by her being a little girl. And that's when I knew things really needed to change. And my whole focus, when she came into the world, it was like, whatever she needs, she'll never go hungry. She won't. I mean, it's, it's, it was like, I instantly grew up in my, and, and I, when I say grew up, meaning from a responsibility standpoint, I snapped into reality on that level and just made it all about her. But it was a very, dysfunctional situation, very dysfunctional relationship that did not last. And then uh, right after that, um, I just knew I needed some time alone. So I took a break from relationships because I needed to figure out what was happening inside of me. So I took, I might've been two or three years to just really focus on getting my mind right and, and really doing some uh, reflection and, and just saying, okay, where do I want to go? So after that, break is when I met my wife today and we're going on 22 years now. And, and so that, so we, right, <laughs> right, right. So, so see, uh, it's all in the book. Um, even how I almost <laughs> jacked that up from just all the stuff. Cause I had so much junk with me that you would never know it because I knew how to turn. I was my, I was truly my father's son. I knew how to turn on the charisma. I knew how to turn on the charm but there was this this sinister side that was lurking underneath. So get married um, shortly after get married. Con my oldest son uh, was conceived. And so we were going through our issues. My wife had her issues. I had my issues. We were navigating that time. Then uh, it was like a year or so, year and some change later. My son, Eric, was born. And so now here I am father to this little girl. She's now four or five years old at this point my now here I have a boy and I'm like, okay, now this is real. So I, here I am. I'm married, no training as, as a husband, no training. Didn't understand what that meant. Didn't understand what it meant to be a husband, uh nurturer. Uh, yeah, I knew how to provide. I'd go out there and hustle all day long, get you the money. But as far as really being a husband, no clue because I didn't have any, any, any model of that other than my grandfather, who was still, he was very passive. He just kind of, he was there. So I never saw him 
uh, hug my grandmother or show her any affection. You know, I was just wondering, I was like, how did my mother and my aunt get here? Cause they just seemed so distant, you know? So, but, but I had to learn everything. It was like learning on the, on the job training, learning as I went, parenting, uh, being a husband. But it, as I look back, it was the greatest lessons, the, the greatest lessons of my life. Those were the greatest lessons because now it's like when I sit down and I talk to my sons, it, they don't even have a clue, man. They, they, I, I say, I, I, if there's a mistake I made, I think I did too much. I overcompensated. I, I think I went to too many football games and basketball games and but too many graduations. It's like, you know, you might need to miss me at one of these because yeah. now their attitude is kind of like, yeah, you know, dad, okay, cool. And I try to tell them about the journey, but they don't understand it. But you know, on many levels, it tells me that the, that the mission was accomplished because they don't have that hurt. Right. They, we have a very close relationship. They want to be with me. I would take them on trips. Um, when they were little, uh, we would go on these father son trips. Now what happened? My daughter's mother moved away because she had a, a situation with her husband, um, which required her to move away. And shortly thereafter, my daughter ended up moving away with her. Now, my daughter was with me, with us until she was uh 10 years old. And then that's when her mom had to move um, 600 miles away. And so that kind of put a, a break in that relationship. But, you know, when you're daddy, you're always going to be daddy. And so even to this day, she still calls me daddy. Uh, and I talk about our relationship in the book and, and without giving too much away, there is a dynamic in our relationship that makes our relationship even stronger. And that's uh, one of the uh, when you when you really discover that part of it, it's kind of like, wow. But with my sons, we uh, we would go on trips. I would take them on trips when when they were young. Say, hey, our father and son trip. And I think the last one we took might have been in 2016 or 17. Then they got too grown. I said, you know what? <laughs> I said, I said, okay, y'all got attitudes now. Because mm -hmm. I said, do you understand how people don't get these trips? So we have not done <laughs> right, right. I was yeah. like, hold on, hold on, hold on. You, you, you all even know. Yeah, you all <laughs> expect this. So, so let me let me pull back on this a little bit. Um, but I did. I mean, just in the lessons that I've taught them, I see it coming out in them. I, I see how I. I lived in front of them and, and, and I start to see it coming out in things that they're doing now, even though they have this teenage attitude that just makes you like, ah. but, but it's like, it's like mission accomplished. You know, it's like, I, I, I don't worry about if they, even if they go and make mistakes in their life, I know that I did everything that I knew to do with everything that I was given to, to become a game changer for our family. So they they should never go and, and, and be deadbeats with their children. Uh, I, I look forward to one day being a grandfather because guess what? The job still continues. You know, as long as God gives me breath, I'm going to be here with those grandbabies and, you know, just doing all I can to, to break that cycle of fatherlessness and even, even the toxicity of it. And, and, and it, it, it hasn't, when I say difficult, it, it hasn't been difficult extending the love of, of a father. It's been difficult learning the lessons that I need in order to become the father and to train my, my sons the way and my daughter the way that they needed to be trained. But, you know, it's um, as I look back, I, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change. Honestly, I wouldn't change the whole journey.
I mean, I, I, I would, you know what I would change? Hearing my father say, I love you, Jay. You know, that'll be something that will, I'll carry that with me for the rest of my life. I'll never hear it. But I don't walk around with it as a burden. So what I do is I, I where I want to hear it, I'll say it. And so that's, sometimes we take our, we take our pain out on people. What I've decided to do is instead of taking it out on someone, to give what I wish I would have received. And so that way, even more, even more. And so now it turns that negative energy into something positive and it becomes inspirational. And so it, so I tell everybody, I said, this book, you, you will see every aspect of my life coming out of this book because everything I do with youth is a result of my experience shared in this book. Everything I do with my productions is a result of what I experienced in this book. When I mentor men, it's, it's, it's a result of what I experienced in the book. When I teach people about financial literacy, it's because of what I experienced in the book. So everything stems from that book. And that's why, you know, it's, um, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm excited to share with the world. We, as far as the the whole brother mission has a focus on men specifically, mm-hmm. as far as getting them connected with counseling, therapy, mentorship, and that uh, professional advancement piece in terms of finances and education and, and career. So I want to zoom in on your relationship with your son, which of you have three. Now, you mentioned just going back the aspect of just being reckless sexually. And Generally speaking, that's kind of a, a trait that we associate with men generally. We expect that. We assume that it's just kind of the way that it is a lot of times. So with that in mind, I know some fathers in, in regards to their sons, the most that they'll do is just say use a condom. And that's if they even have that conversation. So and I do know part of the reason that that is the case isn't necessarily because they don't want to guide. But I found that some men think it's hypocritical to try to teach their son something they didn't live. So I get why some don't bother. But in terms of you being honest about what your history was, how do you approach the conversation, if you do, of sex uh, with your sons and what expectations are you setting? Well, I tell them straight up Uh, with my daughter as well. It's the same. I tell them uh, exactly how things played out. And I tell them about the abortions. I tell them about the recklessness. I tell them about the mentality that I had, because a lot of times the mentality is the biggest thing. And and we, we can tell somebody to put on a condom and all of that. But the truth of the matter is, when you get in the moment, uh, I know I would have condoms in my pocket right there beside me and be like, nah, you know, you, you got to stop and you got to open up the package and you got to go through all of that. By that, t- you know, so so in your mind, but those are, let me say this, those are the type of conversations that I have. And so I encourage them not to put themselves in those positions because there will be situations. And I, when I say situations, mean there will be opportunities for them to find themselves in all types of sexual situations. It's up to them to decide whether or not they're going to find themselves in that situation. And I tell them about the situations and, hey, this is what happened here and this is what how it played out. This is when, you know, because I didn't get away from it unscathed. It was just everything that I ended up catching. I was able to get rid of. So that's that's how I think I talk about that in the book, too. Um, (laughs) So so, you know, you can get a shot for certain things or you can take penicillin for certain things. Or if um, 
if you have little things called crabs running on you, you can get like a, a lotion and get rid of that. Uh, but I just remember all of that. And so I, I, but remember, there was no one to tell me about this. No one was there to say, I mean, you might hear somebody in church. I remember the preacher preached one time saying naughty by nature and it's not good. But then I could see all kinds of things on him. Like, yeah, I think you got a little bit of naughty by nature on you too, preacher. <laughs> you know, so, so, so yeah. you, you gotta see some things. And I'm saying, I just need somebody to break it down to me and tell me the real and help me understand the consequences of how if you hook up with this one and this one and this one, you could potentially concede three children on the same day. If they all take you to court, now that could impact your finances to the tune of three, six, nine hundred dollars a month per child. See, it's when you start breaking it down like that, you start thinking about it a little bit more. It, it it might not stop you completely, or it might, but it gives you a reference point to say, wow, that's real. Okay, I, I might need to check that. Or examining why is it that I'm so out of control? What am I trying to fill? Because what I was trying to do was I was trying to fill an emptiness. And so whenever there was a young lady who was available, if I was using her just to fill an emptiness for the moment. There was no real... Uh, love or it was a couple of them that I had some real love for. But I mean, but I, I, the amount of young ladies and ladies that, you know, obviously young ladies when I was that age. And then when I got older, the amount that I've been with is that was a whole lot of uh, emptiness trying to be filled. And those are the conversations we as men have to have. What are we trying to fill? Because guess what? Once it's over, once you get the release, you're like, okay, I'm good. But now the next day you're looking for the next release and the next day you're looking for, or you might go a couple of days and you might not need, but after a while, after three, four days, you're going to be like, okay, look, all right, I got to find something. I need, I need something going on. So having that real conversation and to say, well, okay, what do I do with that energy? And then again, you know, people will just tell you, don't do this, don't do that. But without really explaining to you why in this, sometimes if your why is strong enough, then it will help override when those various uh, situations and temptations come your way. You're able to say, OK, now nah, I don't I don't want to I don't want to disrupt my whole life because of this choice. So they, so we have those types of conversations. And uh, mm-hmm. but I'll say this. Uh, these boys are are are, uh, are truly <laughs> they are true to the brand. I will say that from the standpoint. Of <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's why I'm so glad to be here to have these conversations because I remind them. I, t- I say I say now you all know you're JD's grandson, and uh, I talk about JD in the book. I said, but you're also Jay's son. <laughs> so and, 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 and that Jay's son, that middle one. Uh, and, and and so I, I explained to them, you know the. Your grandfather, the, the the women came after him. I said, your dad, you know, had his situations. I said, so you all are three good looking young men and they're going to come after you and you have to be able to make a decision with that. Uh, and, and so hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll make wise decisions. You know, they're, they're teenage boys. Uh, we don't think they've um, crossed too many lines, but we know some of the lines that they have crossed. And so it's like, hey, and, I, and I'm glad to have been, been able to catch some of those lines before they went too far, you know, but I know they're going to have to navigate as men on their own. Yeah. Yeah. I'll add to that just this idea of uh, and I know this comes in waves. I, I don't want to make it seem like just all of a sudden black people have become pro-black. But as of right now, I think the, the wave is kind of this idea of being woke um, and something I, I've pointed out is 
that it's very difficult as men to say that I'm pro-black, I'm pro my community, I'm, I'm woke and so on and so forth, while also having a trail of damaged black women behind you. Mm. You can't do both at the same time. Can't so do. it should challenge challenge us to be more chaste with, with our bodies and also the, the decisions that we make. Because, you know, a lot of times the pressure is put on women, you know, don't be out here being nasty. But it's like we get a pass. The same thing we shame them for, we're applauded for. But I think that was probably some misguided thinking that many of us have adopted that we should that we should check um, in terms of if we're serious about community development. Yes. It also has to hit us personally and how we engage with the women in our community. Absolutely. You you said that perfectly because I didn't have any understanding of that. I, I did not have any. All I saw from the age of 11, because, well, actually it started when I was seven. That's when I began the whole sexual exploration journey, meaning I wasn't having full blown sex at seven. But I remember and I talk about this in the book, a little girl, her name was Jamila. I remember it. And we would go in the bushes and nobody knew we were in the bushes and she would pull down her pants and I would pull down my pants and she would let me feel on her and she would feel on me. And this started at seven. So now you're getting sensations at the age of seven that you don't need to be having no supervision at that point. Uh, and, and so then it went from there to age 11 to when full blown sex occurred at age 11, that unlocked Pandora's box. And as this Pandora's box continued, never did anybody say, you know, these, if you want to be focused on building your community or, or being a responsible man, you need to be mindful of what you're doing. Never, not one, at, at not one point in my teen developmental years did I hear that. And mm -hmm. so it wasn't until I, be, until I got older and came to the realization myself, because I used to throw parties, man. I used, my parties were so raunchy that my idol was, as we knew him as Luke back then, everybody calls him Uncle Luke. They call him Uncle Luke now. But yeah. my parties, I was like, I want my parties to be like Luke parties. <laughs> and so they would yeah. go to parties and the girls would come in, take off their clothes. It was that type of atmosphere. So, uh, so I remember, I mean, I was exploiting them, you know, like we would do contests and the girls would need like rent money. So I say, okay, listen, we're going to do a $500. Back then it was called Daisy Dukes. It was a song called Daisy Dukes. It was out. And, uh, look at that girl with the Daisy Dukes on. That's what, that was what was out back then. And, uh, we did a $500 Daisy Dukes contest and, and the young ladies would come in. They would take off their clothes. They would strip and it would be done Apollo style. So whoever had the loudest cheer would get the $500. To me, all they were was cheap entertainment. I had the cover charge. I had the drinks. I had all of that in place. And then they come in $500. You're my entertainment. So that's how I viewed them. Then I viewed them from a sexual standpoint. You have low self-esteem. You have issues I can sense. So let me take advantage of you so I can get my release and fill this void that I need. I'm not concerned about community building. I'm selfish. Right. I'm insecure. I'm immature. Here I am uh, trying to navigate, but I'm but I'm hurting. I'm dying inside. And I and quiet is kept. I wanted to do better, but I didn't know how. So you brought up, brought up an excellent point. Excellent point. So. For the, I imagine there are some guys listening who may be married with kids, figuring it out, maybe a single father, maybe absent in their kid's life, various uh, paths to fatherhood and current situations. What would you say to the guy uh, who kind of would admit, like, 
maybe personally admit, I don't know what I'm doing, may not say it out loud, but kind of has a feeling of I really don't have a hold on this, whether they're in the home and having a hard time navigating raising a son or whether they're navigating through what some call baby mama drama and so on and so forth. Uh, what are some tips you can give to help a guy navigate through that in a healthy way? Because so often I see, uh, once again, we talk about community building, we see this infighting amongst mothers and fathers. You're raising a kid and dad hates mom. Mom's always cussing out dad. And we just, you know, how do we navigate through those dynamics in a healthy way for the benefit of the child? I've been there. I understand it. The first thing I had to do was to really look inward. And there was a lot of turbulence in the relationship with my daughter's mother. And I had to what it was one day I, we were going through the court battles and everything and custody battles and cussing each other out and going through all of that stuff, all that drama. And I said to myself, you know, is this how I want my daughter to grow up? And but I had to now take responsibility. I had to be willing to let go of the areas where I was offended. I had to take ownership and responsibility for the things that I had done. And I called her and it was the hardest thing that I'd ever done. I couldn't believe I was doing it. I thought I was going crazy. And I apologized to her for my role in this fraudulent relationship because it wasn't a real relationship. But I apologized to her for how I, I had spoken to her, how I treated her. And, and because I was, I was pretty, pretty rough in that relationship. I mean, as far as cheating and running around and, and doing all of that. And so I apologized to her and I told her, I said, you know, I really am going to work towards doing what's best for our daughter, but also as far as respecting her. And that was in 1997. And so to this day, we we don't speak often, but when we do, it's positive. When she went through a, a pretty challenging time, we were able to uh, my wife and I were able to uh, assist her as far as with the care of uh, of our, uh, of Taylor and and making sure that she was cared for and, and she didn't have to worry about that. So it so if, if you take responsibility for it and begin to have a level of humility and giving the relationship time to establish a new relationship, because sometimes if, if it's such a negative history, then, it, it you know, it could take some time. Or if you're just dealing with somebody who's unreasonable, because I know some people are just dealing with just like unreasonable, bitter people. Uh, and there's nothing you can do. Even only thing you can do at that point is control your actions, do your part and uh, be the best father that you can be. And that and that's what I would suggest. That's what that's my word of encouragement. It can be done. You can get through it. It does not have to be doom and gloom. Don't allow this thing to break you down and cause you to harm yourself through you know different addictions and substance abuses and things like that. Uh, now take this energy and and use it for something positive. Again, you can it can be negative circumstances. How you respond to it, how you respond to it, can make all the difference. And that's what I want to encourage you with today. It's not over. It's not hopeless. And if you now are willing to take those steps. You can see a change. Last question. Why should men read? Why should women read? Oh, because it will. The, the real reason why I think people should read this book is because it answers so many questions. Now, you may develop more along the way, but it gives you insight, especially covering, coming from a perspective of a black man. There are a lot of things that I share and that a lot of black men won't share. 
It's a it's a very open, honest, raw uh, account, but it's, it doesn't leave you there. It's like, okay, this is what happened. So now, how did you take the turn? You know, here's this is what you this is what life looks like on the other side of this. So although you might have had negative circumstances in the first half, the second half is where you win the game. So and sometimes you got to take a half time, take a break, take a pause, regroup and come back and play the second half. So you might have children that are dealing with this. You might be a teacher who's dealing with a lot of children who are facing this. Uh, you might be someone working in social work or ministry, or it could be a variety of different places. You might be married to someone who's facing fatherlessness. You might have a parent who's dealing with it. It answers a lot of questions. For women, uh, you might be dealing with uh, fatherless issues and understanding. It might offer you insight into why your father did what your father did or why your mother did what your mother did. Sometimes a mother might have had a fatherless situation that impacts the daughter or the son. So it walks you through a chronology and helps you to kind of look at it from an ancestral standpoint to say, okay, where is this coming from? How did this, where did this, where did these different things come from? And how do I stop it? That is the bottom line. How do I stop it right here and not allow it to move forward? And that's why you should read Fatherless Fathering. Got it. Where can they get it? I didn't get Amazon.com. As a matter of fact, please make sure that you do pick it up on Amazon and uh, please leave a review. We would love your thoughts and uh, and just continue to share it. Get it as gifts uh, for, for when I mean, you can share it with anybody in the world. That's a wonderful part about having it available on platforms that uh, that are global. Uh, but share it with other people. Use it as a resource. Talk about it. Have discussions. You know, take it into your uh, your groups. You can talk about it in your church groups, reading groups, uh, book clubs. Uh, I believe it will help offer a lot of insight on those platforms as well. Mm-hmm. And something I just think is important to add, just because I know the the driven mentality of a lot of the men listening, I want to point out that Jay's an entrepreneur. So. You came up, you came around to this from a perspective of building your own streams of income and businesses and then taking the time to invest what you learned along the way in your personal life into a book, into camps and other community development programs. So I think it's also important for, for our listeners to know that, that, um, that this came from a personal place. But also, I think it's, it's always respected when, as men, we go out there and build something that is our own especially as black men with the community, you know, the landscape we're in in America. So I want to add that as well, that I think that 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 lends credibility to what's being said here, because you went out, uh, as you told me a long time ago, and built and built something. <laughs> Multiple things. <laughs> That's a whole other so, conversation yeah, there, right? <laughs> much appreciated. Much appreciated. But I, oh, yeah. One more thing. Yes, I, think, I think when to connect with you. Give them your socials and website. Sure. Our website is jcameron.com. Uh, that's J-A-Y. That, and that is my name. My name is not Jason. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, jcameron.com. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook at jcameronofficial, and on Twitter at jcameron. And the number one, that's where I am. And, of course, LinkedIn, jcameron. You can find me right there. Perfect. Well, thanks, Jay. We appreciate you on your words. Uh, we definitely can do it again. Thank you guys for tuning in. This has been another episode of the Whole Brother Mission podcast.